Mike, and joining me as always. Hey guys, Brian. And we got another uh, review for you guys tonight. So this is uh, going to be a fun one, I think. Uh, this is, you know, first I want to say welcome back, Brian. It's been a little while since we've had you on the show. And this all kind of stemmed because I wanted to have you back. I wanted to do a little bit more frequent recordings or at least even conversations with you. And I said, Brian, just any movie you want. We'll, that's how much I, I want you to come back. Let's pick a movie, doesn't matter what it is, and let's just talk about it. And Brian, what movie did you discuss, decide that you wanted to talk about today? So we chose a, uh, I chose a very special movie near and dear to my heart. Uh, it's actually one of my, you know, top five favorite films of all time. It will always be in that, in that category. And that is Sergio Leone's Once Upon a Time in America. And Brian, I, uh, how long is this movie exactly? Like, give or take? Uh, depends on what version, it depends on what version you watch. If you write, if you watch the correct version, it's about four hours long. Okay, so this movie is four hours long, and of course, the I said pick any movie you want, and you pick the four hour long movie, and I just want to show, I mean, I, that doesn't matter to me, I just, but I just want you to say, I just want you to know that's how dedicated I am have you back on the show the first movie well, you pick i think is a four hour long movie and i was like of the, course the, the only well, other movie that brian could have chose was either seven samurai or uh or, or like uh, what is what, what's that like seven hour long uh, uh war and peace no oh like, no the human condition oh, i was thinking like what is it like i thought it was like gates of heaven or something the director of the deer hunter it, well, the Deer Hunter is another four. Is literally four hours long, but Gates of Heaven. No, I mean I don't know what movie you're talking about, but I mean I think to to dial it back a little bit, the reason I chose this and the reason it's in my top tiers of movies is not only I think I mentioned this before. Sergio Leone is 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 the one of the supreme influences of my, uh, I guess not only cinematic upbringing. But also, uh, he Leone himself shapes my style as a writer. Uh, I write a lot of, I try and write a lot of screenplays, and and I try and in, to in the same vein as like spaghetti westerns and whatnot, or just genres that I like, genre pieces. And Sergio Leone is, I would say, the primary influence of everything uh, that I like about cinema. He is the, he is he was the moment and this is why I chose it is I, I watched the good and the man, the ugly and uh, once upon a time in America. And those were the two moments of watching those movies. I'll never forget them. Like I was still in high school um, and where the light bulb kind of definitively went off for, all right, there's something special going on with like movies. Let me try and actually, you know, this is something I, I want to get into and, and look more seriously appreciate um, Pulp Fiction was kind of the the little the match that lit off Good and Bad and the Ugly and Once Upon a Time in America are are the actual flame igniting into where we are today. Yeah, and 
I am excited for this because I do really like Sergio Leone. You're more well versed in the Western genre than I am, but I was I did rewatch. Oh the yeah, good... spaghetti westerns are my forte. Well, I did watch the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly the other the other day, really, and uh, it just got me excited to talk about this movie because I, I just I brought up the length because of just I was how how committed I was because I ended up buying this on YouTube Video because I wanted to I didn't know if I was going to watch it in one sitting so uh not like I I love long movies and I love that time commitment but again it's like the time commitment with work and all but just saying I was committed to watch this movie so we could get you back on and have this discussion and yeah I I uh I remember seeing this movie one other time before excuse me and I enjoyed it it wasn't it wasn't I think it was right after college or right before I graduated undergrad because you, you kept raving about this movie and I have to admit it took, I think I watched the first time and I wasn't, it wasn't the right environment. I wasn't in the right mindset to (laughs) go on this, this journey. But the second time when I sat down and actually watched it, I was like, okay, yeah, this is, this is, you know, very good. And so once upon a time in America, you know, Sergio Leone is like Magnus Opus pretty much. Wasn't this, essentially like the last film that he directed because i think this was 84 and he died five years after yeah. this movie and yeah th- this he, was... died, he unfortunately passed of a heart attack and actually without going on too much of a tangent his next film after following this this movie would have been a massive romantic epic with robert de niro in stalingrad that was his next he had actually started pre-production and then had a heart attack and unfortunately passed away Okay, interesting, because and, and it seemed like from all the behind the scenes, all the things that I was reading and watching, that he was so heavily involved, like this was his baby. Uh, he would act out every different scene uh, as he was directing it. He was telling people like the, the details, like how this is how you hold something. This is how you deliver this line. This is how and he would there's like production stills of him, you know, in the rehearsals like in as a stand-in for each actor doing each part saying this is how I want this done and he's also like there's also stills of him feet away from the actors with the camera because uh, I obviously the the Leone flair is the eyes and the face and the expression of the face and they're and literally Leone is sitting there mere feet literally his shadow is over the actor that's how intimately, I guess, connected he is to the actor's performance and uh, trying to elicit, I know, what what the scene is trying to get from it. That's how into it he is. He is behind the camera, you know, really there. And so what is it about, like, the American gangster that he was, that drew him to? You might have, you might know this answer better than me, but because it seems like this was his take on like the era of like the Godfather and like Scorsese and Coppola and all of these, these films that were coming out at the time. This seems to be like his take on like the Godfather and stuff like that. I, I think, I mean, I don't, I can't speak too much to like that influence per se. I think there's like, besides, I haven't seen the Colossus of Rhodes. That is the only Leone movie I have not seen. Uh, but there is a through line with all of his films. And I think that it's in the spaghetti Western vein, um, like other guys like Sergio Corbucci were doing back then in the day, like with the 60s through the 70s. Um, 
mainly the through line is sex and violence. And that that's kind of what set apart this genre of Westerns is that not only were they made by Italians in Italy or Spain, um, and they were like kind of they they came about within the you know the the counter the countercultural revolution of the of, in America of the 60s where you see like it, it is like diametrically opposed to like the John Wayne westerns of like the 50s like the Sam Fuller and John Huston westerns of the 50s and 40s where it's like it's a much more like grittier uh dirty violent like skeezy uh world to live in of the American west and the through line for Leone has always been violence and in his later works, I mean, actually even, even, even in the dollars trilogy, like sex. Um, and as we get, and also rape and sex and which is a prevalent theme of this film, but also even like films like duck, you sucker that had directly uh, preceded this film. So I think this was, I think honestly, this movie is about the relationship between violence and sex. And I, I don't think it's more so a commentary of gangster films. It probably is. There's always a facet of it, but I, I, I see more of the consistent Leone theme. Um, and the gangster genre is a vehicle, I think, to illustrate these deeper connections of, uh, you know, uh, of a criminal a criminal life yeah and there i've been I, I was pick i was trying to pick up on a lot more um definitely like sex and violence and like the relationship between noodles and all the other characters it, it's it's very it, it's it's not in your face but it's it's not exactly subtle that well some are a little like some is a little bit more subtle but it's it's like it's it's there from the beginning so i guess uh before like before we like start diving into it what like what is once upon a time in america about brian you don't have to give like a detailed summary but what is just the bare bone skeleton what is this movie about uh i think i think and it's funny because you you we net we we haven't uh we never like rehearsed going these i didn't this is the first time you've, you've asked me this question so i think this is like a real response i mean i feel like this movie is genuinely about uh, love, hate, uh, the, I guess, like the constant struggle of, of being a horrible person and not being able to escape, uh, I guess, like the horrible aspect of your life. No matter how hard you try and run away from it and suppress it, it's ultimately about, uh, it's a giant metaphor for not being able to actually escape who you truly are. Um, and, okay. and, and that's, and that's, and that's within the realm of a grandiose and sweeping epic scale of, of, of a 1920s and thirties gangster film. So that's, that's the more in depth, like uh, analysis, the, I guess like the general plot is we follow uh, one guy Oh, I'm sorry. I thought, that's I what I meant. But no, thought. I liked I liked I the way you were... went. I like the way I like the avenue you went down. But uh, <laughs> essentially, like what it's about, not what it's about. No, yeah. Know, what, like, like, I thought that's sir, like skeleton, bare bones. Like, what is the plot? Uh, so we're just fo we're following 
the well i can, I can do that as well okay yeah go for it brian I mean, yeah, we're just following the the progressive the progression of a of a of a, uh, a posse of a of a gangster posse of their rise and fall through about uh, shit. How many decades? Probably four decades. Yeah, I think at least it starts four. Twenties and ends in the sixties or seventies, and it and it and it follows uh, Noodles, uh, who is the protagonist, Robert De Niro's character, and it follows. In uh, not a, cro- a chronological order, uh, his his betrayal of his friends and the life of a gangster, and that it's broken into I think like distinctive parts, um, but it, it shows his life as a child, how he met his gangster friends and their rise through the criminal underworld during Prohibition America, and um, the I guess consequences of his actions and where this life of violence ultimately leads yeah exactly so let's get like right in the movie uh, i do have my notes because I, I took notes on my phone i have a quite a good list of them um and the first note that i have of this movie is christ it's violent right off the bat um the the opening sequence is uh gangsters looking for robert de niro's noodles character or so we come to find out all we know is that these gangsters are going are going through and interrogating and killing people trying to find this one man and they're saying oh he's a rat we're looking for him but it's just like super violent right off the bat like it's almost like shocking like shockingly violent yeah and this is also it's also portrayed as like um they don't tell you what's going on. Leone as a filmmaker trusts you, and that's also his skill as a filmmaker. He doesn't need to tell you what's going on, uh, per se. He just kind of throws you in the action, and you will figure out the gist of where the story is taking you over. You just got to give it some time, you know? But it is violent. Immediately, his girlfriend goes in, goes into his bedroom, uh sees the 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 cutout of bullets in the bed uh of singed bullet holes that make out the 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 chalk outline you could say of a body and i think i don't i don't know how to approach this because i have my own interpretation of the entire movie and what the ending sequence is um and i and that ties into it i just don't want to I don't know how you want to structure this I say, conversation. I say, get, I know exactly what you're talking about. I say we get to that at the end because that's ultimately like the point of the movie is like the final sequence and what it could mean because it, it, it directly is like those last two sequences at the mansion to the ending scene, like the ending visuals. Like, I think that's like the thesis. And, well, and we need I, the four hours of buildup to of have context. that discussion. That's true. Um, but it's interesting because as soon as they show uh, that scene, it's, I believe, it's, is it, I think it's, is this before or after he goes to the opium den? Do you remember? Wait, which scene? What are you talking about? Like, is Robert De Niro at the opium den uh, during the scene where his girlfriend gets killed? Yeah, I took it that he was at the opium den, like, from the get-go. Okay. Okay. Well, then that ties into the ending. Then that I can circle back that. Yeah. Um, so but yeah, no. It's it's 
but also but so the violence is there um they start tracking him down and you and you start getting piecemeal the characters you get mo who's getting the shit kicked out of him you don't know who he is yet um you see the girlfriend you don't know who she is yet um but immediately we find robert de niro's character um at you know an opium den smoking uh opium trying to hide away from his from his uh i guess the acts that he had just done and also this is the first introduction i think of that sex that violent sex scene that i was talking about in the beginning yep where the gangsters go into the uh go into the opium den they're looking for noodles and they see it they're looking for just people uh, so they're in that so they're in the uh they're in like the theater portion because the opium den is like behind the theater so they're like yeah, in the like theater looking, alley, yeah. yeah looking like through all the people and we get to the back and there's like a guy and a girl like he's like making out making out with her feeling her up and he stops them and you know opens her shirt puts a gun directly against her breast and like it's you know that gets a looks and is like you know imposing his power over the two of them with violence and then he just kind of leaves him be but it's a sex it's a sexual like violence though that, oh yeah and, that, and the i think guy's that totally is, turned on and, and, like re like re-watching it i was like oh wow like it, even from the first 10 minutes it's already there are two types of sex in this movie there is love and then there's there's gang there's a criminal violence uh kind of angle to it already off the bat that theme is there yeah exactly and i yeah and like you're saying we're piecemealing here i think it's interesting too how mo and is getting beat up in his bar he actually tells them where uh where noodles is he tell he lets them know that they're at the uh that he's at the opium den which i thought was very interesting like right off the bat um that the and I don't know if that really means anything, but I just thought it was interesting for like who this character is, his relationship with pretty much everyone here. But um, I also want to say Leone knows, I mean, uh, Leone knows how to build tension without just, just using noises. I mean, you see it in all of his films as a trademark, I think, of just absent of dialogue and it's all just using atmosphere. But like the moment when... Um, when Robert De Niro escapes the opium den because the the um the owners are like oh get, get out get out they're here for you and he goes back to the bar and each it's important to note that they're leaving um like the gangsters they're leaving one person behind at each place just all in case he comes back so he goes back to the bar for a very specific reason and there's this whole buildup with like the elevator coming up. The gangster hears it. And he's like, you know, point, point his gun at there. We're cutting between different angles. All we hear is the elevator and just ambient noises. And then suddenly door opens. Surprise, surprise. De Niro's not there and he kills his gangster. We get, you know, a he little comes bit... up the secret entrance. Yeah. Yep. The, the uh, prohibition entrance. And uh, he leaves Mo tied up, t- but takes the key from the grandfather clock. And we get to this bit of going to a train station, opening up a, a locker, and there's an empty suitcase. And that's when we kind of start this, this, uh, this transition. And, and it's also important to note that I remembered like small details as the story and the movie was going on. But it was like right at this point that I was like, okay, I, things are starting to like tickle something in the back of my head. So um, I, I want to say like that transition from this like opening segment to 
like old De Niro, I really love, especially kind of, it, it's like the mural on the wall with the, it, and like mirrors and reflections, how it, it's, it, it cuts. Playing yesterday. Old, yeah, I was going to say playing yesterday in like 1950s, 60s with a, New York. With a, in, in a Neo Morricone rendition of yesterday, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Which I thought was going to be like another like motif for like old, uh, or like that, like, that was going to let us, I mean, other than like prosthetics and like the atmosphere, I thought that was going to be like, I thought each segment was going to have its own like motif of music. And I was like, oh, we're going to have yesterday for the rest of like the old bits. No, but I still, I did notice. a transitional song. No, I know. But I did, I did like the, the idea, and also like the idea of like what, like yesterday, what the song represents and yeah, and especially in that moment. I would actually like to take us back a, a second to in this film, and because I think we, I think we missed the uh, the phone ringing. Sequence. Oh yeah, I did. I did have that written down. Yeah, again, Leone building atmosphere, driving the story, and, and, without... and visual and purely visual storytelling. Yeah, all we hear is a phone ringing. And that's it. Overlaid with images of. Uh, a car like a fire a car accident with two bodies or i get three bodies but we only see well i guess we see three of them right we see all three no, we bodies see three, but one, but is, one is like heavily disfigured. yeah one is heavily disfigured and burned and like we get the name we yeah. get the names um we see the aftermath of, of this event and then we and you, see, you, you see de niro looking very uh guilty and, and horrified at the things and you hear phones ringing, and you don't know what that means, but it's 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 supposed to be disorienting. Uh, but yeah, no, I think the phone rings something like like thirty times or something, and it just doesn't stop. And 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 that's already queuing you up to this is an important moment. I don't know why, but this is clearly something extremely uh, like relevant, poignant to De Niro's. Story. Well, and and you, and it cues up kind of like all like the piecemeal in the beginning with the gangster. Like, oh, he's a rat. He's selling out his friends, and then we get this sequence of like some sort of after. Like we like we don't know what happened, but we know De Niro is involved in some capacity, and then we don't know how much. And then it cuts to the phone ringing, and it's like p- police sergeant whoever, and it, and it has them like just about to answer the phone, and then we cut. So I think that that's one of the like a, like an amazing segment of cinema, especially in this film. It like sucks you in right yeah. away. Yeah, I think it's one of I think it's honestly one of the most. Uh, what's the way to say? I mean, I think that that is the most uh, what's this, iconic moment of the film is that it was the phone ringing sequence, and I think a lot of directors take uh they they borrow from that scene as well um but yeah no that that is just one of i think i have three major um i like iconographies of this movie and that and the phone ring sequence is one of them and i'll and i'll mention the other two as we yeah go i was gonna say but, i was gonna try and figure out like guess which ones they were but i honestly don't really know or i can maybe but anyway so yeah that's that whole opening sequence when we come back to uh robert nero 
old age makeup and like 1950 late 1950s early 60s new york there's a timestamp somewhere i would say but... late 60s yeah oh there was there's a timestamp. well like like they they mentioned the time somewhere but it's, it, it, honestly it's not really important it's I just think, I it's, think it's at least 60s, it's just but, time yeah. has gone by it's he's an old man yeah Which it's not 1980s great great old age makeup for everyone yeah i'd say so look pretty good except well except deborah but we'll go back to that that there's well, a reason that's, i think yeah that. i think that's very intentional oh absolutely it's, well, but, it, well, we'll duh, get, but yes it, it it's it's not it's not a mistake that the, the lack thereof so we'll get there yes we'll get there jumping the gun a little bit so but i think the old age makeup on de niro looks great on mo looks great um on james woods look oh shit well i kind of spoiled it but whatever spoilers james woods looks great so yeah <laughs> awesome awesome visual well so um uh, so then we, we get a little bit more dialogue kind of going through they're digging up the old jewish neighborhood or, or not well yes the neighborhood but specifically the graveyard because that's because at first yeah. i was like why the fuck is he back and like he's not just like reliving rekindling old memories i was like something's driving him to come back and goes through the jewish uh the, the Jewish neighborhoods. Well, he, he they're all Jewish. That's where like, they grew up. It's an important note. And he goes back to the bar, Moe's bar, and he walks in, and and this is where we kind of get a little bit more like expository dialogue about it, it's it's piecing more about the story here. So essentially, all we get is like a quote unquote like they found noodles. We don't know who they are. He doesn't even know who they are. He just knows that someone has found me. That's essentially, uh, I think, the, the whole point of the Mo and... Um, well, because they moved the graves, right? No, 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 no. They moved the graves. Of, yeah. No, because he, I thought this Wasn't was the sequence. Well, like, the whole thing was, um, like, they're moving the graves and they reached out saying, like, oh, like, these are the three graves of of your friends who are dead. And... Uh, but he but he goes a little bit further explaining like the graves were already taken like he, he go, I, for, I it's been like a, a few weeks since I've seen the movie but I, I just remember specifically him saying like this letter uh, was not sent by the rabbi this was oh no no yeah that's what I mean it was they moved the graves it was sent by a private party and 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 they're like we know who you are noodles and that's what he says he's like what does this mean he's like it knows they know who i am and they know and where i'm coming I am. back to figure it out yeah yeah so he's like there's no sense of like hiding anymore like we have to which was funny cuz he's like he's been hiding out in buffalo new york which is it's it's it just it's just uh it's the upper side of new york it's not that far away if you're hiding out from you know from the mob go to buffalo new york you know yeah, like, like i find that a funny. few hours away from where you grew up yeah literally a stone's throw yeah like yeah as opposed to like halfway across the the like the country you know like some like middle of nowhere like minnesota or something like henry hill shit you know like yeah it's funny i'm like oh buffalo new york that's literally the same state so (laughs) but um i I do want to get into like this transition to childhood which i think is probably Mm -hmm. the second like iconic scene and you're yeah, for you, and, I would say like you said you had three. Is this not yeah. the second one? Like the transition of him going yeah. to the bathroom, taking off the the uh, the brick and looking through because he, he's hearing the music and 
we transition yeah, to a so. girl dancing and it transitions to him with the color grading changing as well like it, it becomes very like sepia tones and 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 like it's suddenly yeah. like the you film how you went feels. back in time yeah and th- so i actually have a lot i in addition to top like movies that i love I also kind of break that down into scenes that I love. And that, that's not necessarily of my top films going to the top scenes. It's just in general, like scenes that strike me that like this, as Damien Chazelle put it, like I remember he was interviews like, oh, if I was beamed up and aliens were like, what is cinema to you? And he, w- he would show the umbrellas of Sherbourne. That's what he said. And I completely agree with, but also I would show them this scene of, of noodles, peering into you know his past and then it's just a boy innocently watching a girl dance and i i even like even just moments of like writing or introspection or whatever i still go back to the scene and just watch the five minute clip i find it so beautiful and just so innocent it, it it just strikes me every single time and i think that's one of the reasons why this film just holds a special place in my heart because it's such like a beautiful and it's and that and that's what ultimately makes it so tragic it, it's like it's like an ultimate love story of this fucking kid peeping on this girl dancing and he's just it, you could see it in his eyes like even through De Niro it's so cool because like you see the longing in De Niro's eyes and pain and then it's the shift with the with the really like kind of like happy uh, yeah, Neo Morricone wrote that song, and then it just shifts to a young Jennifer. What's her last name? Connelly, Gardner Jennifer Gray. Con- Jennifer Connelly. Connelly. Oh, Jennifer Gray was the uh, Ferris Bueller and uh, Dirty Dancing, but Jennifer Connelly first role actually, I think, was her first. Yeah, I believe gig. it was. Yeah, it was, her, it was like her, her like, uh, like her introducing role. Yeah, and uh, and then it, so it shifts from De Niro longing. And looking like full of pain to a young De Niro with wonder and fascination at this girl dancing. And it's just, it's just, it's just a simple scene, but it conveys so much. And, 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 um, Leone, again, it's, it's through the eyes, it's all through the eyes, even with Deborah when she's dancing. And she's and she knows he's there. It's really clear that she. Oh yeah, she knows she's dancing. There. Yeah, she's she's throwing him looks and she's throwing him looks all, she, and she's she's dancing like for him. She knows she's performing for him. Yeah, it's all communicated through the eyes and the face. And Leone doesn't ruin it by explaining what's going on. He just thinks you into the moment. And I find that that's one of my favorite scenes of cinema. Like and I'll, that's that's also why I wanted to share this with you because like there's a chock full of stuff that just strikes in my heart and that that's one of them. So and if I'm getting like overly dramatic or whatever, it's because I fucking love it. You well, know? No, this is like the beauty of cinema, like an art, and like this, there it's evoking these. It, I'm like, I I I this is like my reaction isn't as powerful as yours, but like I've we've had moments where I get really like emotional and, and, and caught up in what I'm talking about with movies and stuff. But no, this is like literally the beauty of cinema and why we're talking about this movie because it's able to elicit these emotions from both of us. You're, you're a little bit more vocal about yeah. your emotions, which is fine, but I'm right there with you. Like this is excellent 
like 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 a uh, masterpiece of filmmaking and also and it, it's something it's i think we all can it it's all. also something we all can relate to in some degree it's very relatable as well you know like you can see yourself I, I, in this yeah. position it, and it speaks to the ultimate tragedy of this movie it, it just makes it so much more enriching and heartbreaking watching this young boy uh like you know fall in love with this girl it's it just makes the ending so much more tragic and heartbreaking yeah which we'll get into yeah yeah. exactly uh so so like we kind of transition uh she does like flash him like as she's changing and he uh which is funny because is this the scene too when like because he's hiding above the bathroom and he like sees her like like changing and he ducks away and her dad comes in and then doesn't she call him out? I don't know if it's her dad, but or she says like, "Oh, you better check somebody. The, you better check the bathroom yeah. because of cockroaches." So it's funny like that interplay that they have where she clearly knows he's watching. She changes in front of him because she she doesn't care if he sees and then says, "Oh, like check the bathroom. There's cockroaches in there." And that's when his like cue to leave and uh, kind of gets out and. Um, and I love this like sweeping shot of this. Like, oh yeah, of just of like the, the Jewish yeah. corner uh, um, in in the city, of New York. Yeah, it, it's very, it's very. It, yeah, it, like it's honestly, it, it does reminisce. It reminds me of like Godfather Part Two in like Little Italy, but like this is yeah, where, where there yeah, where there's like at least a hundred, two hundred uh, extras. It's at least like, it's it's a few hundred extras, like. Like yeah, going it's like way, way like, back, like just filling like, the frame and, with and movement you can, and dynamic. And you, can see, and you can see, like on this watch, I was like, oh, you can see where like they they kind of tapped yeah. out of their extras, but it's still like awesome. Like that's what movie making is about. And that is the typical Leone fashion of like that's the cool thing that, and we'll get more because I'm gonna I'll recommend more of his movies eventually as we go along. But like he just keeps increasing the scale of his films. And it's like he starts small. Uh, he starts small with 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 you know the Clint Eastwood westerns, and then he just gets bigger and bigger and bigger, using hundreds of extras, even like the Good Man, the Ugly Duck, you sucker, and now and now ultimately you know culminating with Once Upon a Time in America. And it's like in the shots like that, the dolly shot panning up of hundreds of people in a in a frame just doing whatever and it's, and it's dynamic movement and like cars. there's so much shit going yeah. on but it's not overwhelming but you're still focused yeah it's you're world still building. you're still focused you're still focused on the scene and what's going on but all those people are still there and that is the awesome thing about leone he doesn't give a shit and that's the, and like that's the funny thing too of like talking about like tarantino and stuff that that was kind of like what we appreciated, I think mutually appreciated about like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, where it's like it feels lived in. You can tell they did their homework and they tried, and that's all you need to do. And it's it, that that like gigantic effort just sinks you into shit. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And again, it's just it's breathtaking when you see shots like this, and it's it's what it's what cinema is meant for you know it's like stuff like this absolutely and like the next few moments we kind of get in between like we get in with uh with noodles and his gang um and kind of them getting into their antics you know lighting the newsstands on fire which i i did kind of like that moment um the hustling they're kind of like freelance 
like yeah, they're freelance like you know what I mean? newsy criminals <laughs> um but not they newsy, also but they also but they work under i don't think they work for but there, there's like the recognition of like there is a guy who who runs the street we kind of just do freelance stuff for you know guys trying to peddle some money and stuff like that but you know we don't want to piss off the guy you know yeah bugsy yeah, yeah bugsy um there's always a hierarchy yeah and and like the hustling drunks for more money and i i like this is like the first instance of our theme when they're like they're they, they're like okay this is our mark we're gonna get him and they start whistling the um like the flute theme and then mm-hmm. like, oh, we're and then they're like oh like the cops are there like kind of establishing like obviously they're criminals they're like the, the distrust for the law and how the law is like giving them shit and and this is when we're introduced to Max. It's also showing that Noodles is a quick thinker because the cops are there and and uh, he's like, oh, what are we supposed to do? Like, if this drunk gets away, we're not going to get our money. It's like, oh, we're going to wait for this carriage to come in. And that's when Max steps in and steals the mark from them. He's like, oh, like, like Uncle Benny, you're drunk. Oh, like, I'll take you home. And he's like kind of slyly smiling like, yeah, like, fuck you. I, like, he's I like, got yeah, this I from just you. Got you. I, like the new kid on I the block. The new kid on the block yeah. is just like he's moving in. He's moving his stuff in with his mom, and he's like, "Oh, like it's." And he's like, kind of like winking and nudging. And I, I do like the, the, uh, the, 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 that whole interaction with Max, like right off the bat. And the actor, I think the young kid that plays him does like a really phenomenal job as well. Like he's got like a lot of personality that can match James Woods, I think. Um, Oh, yeah, definitely. There's not a weak performance here, especially, I mean, I really like the young noodles. I really like the young Max. Um, I like all those, all those guys. Yeah, exactly. And so this next bit, we, it's, it's kind of like the whole introduction with more like sex with the character of Peggy. Oh, yeah. So we get back and like, you know, noodles got to like, he's, he's like going to go take a shit and he's reading and then Peggy, the neighbor girl comes in and he's like, oh, and and it's like the lustful side of sex that that they're having. He like he's kind of the young, the more the innocent side. It's not violent, you know what I mean. It's just like he's a young. I wouldn't say innocent. It's very learning. juvenile. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because he's yeah, taking he's taking a shit. Not the way to taking say, a yeah. shit, and she comes and he's like, oh, come on, let me let me. We'll do you right here, real quick. He said, oh, br- bring me a pastry. So it's very juvenile and yeah. it's very immature. But again, it's that like juxtaposition of like, this is like the basis of their understanding of sex. It's very lustful, it's very juvenile, and it's very empty, which makes like the, the, the wanting of uh, Jennifer Conley's character. Um, what is her name Innocent. again? Innocent. Um, oh, God. Oh, no. What's her name? I'm blanking. Hang on. Uh. Deborah. Deborah, yeah, it was like it began with a D. She had her own. She has her own theme. It's called Deborah's theme. But yeah, Deborah. <laughs> but yeah, I just think it's super important that like we have these this like this setup of just very juvenile, immature, lustful, like uh, manifestations of sex to to uh, com- uh, contrast against Deborah. Still there. Where it's very, where the idea is very innocent and pure, and yeah, and how it becomes very tragic and how that idea is shattered. So after all this sex stuff uh, with Peggy and, and noodles and all that, we're reintroduced to Max that it's, it's 
discovered that he's not just some like wise ass who's stealing marks just because he likes you know stirring the pot like he's also a criminal too we find out that he stole from the mark that he stole from the group with the uh with the pocket watch and and i love this kind of setup of kind of like the like the 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 mutual feelings and like the camaraderie between two thieves and, and that like you know noodles is pissed off at first but then they kind of have this back and forth banter and then the and then the mutual disrespect for the police and oh like i gave it to him oh he's my uncle you know i i and i love kind of like the the, the establishing of the relationship here through it's the mutual it's the mutual uh disrespect for just authority and 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 the law that brings them together because they are fighting at fir- at front like you know like verbally sparring with one another and then it's when the police come in that they immediately like join the same side and i was gonna say you know are max and noodles actually friends like i mean duh like in the in the writing of this like they're they're quote-unquote friends but i'm asking you like are they friends or is it like what i just said it's just mutual disdain for authority and the law that brings them together because they don't really they don't really like they don't really like act like friends throughout the movie I, I think they're they become brothers. I, I think this is this is how it starts. Like I they, never got the they, I, not, I never got the impression that like especially noodles like particularly ever liked Max. I always saw like I, I got the impression that Max liked noodles, but noodles never really liked and trusted Max. Just from always putting his ideas down. No, just I, just like the how even like how they interact with one another. It, I never got the feeling that noodles trusted max ever well i think i think no i thought i thought i always got that brotherly kinship uh you know brothers in arms you know literally thick as thieves i think uh i think the issue and we'll see this later on in the movie is that max is notoriously like a hothead even though uh noodles is is a hypocrite he's a piece of shit and he he's no better than Max, but I think he has like this this superiority complex that he thinks he's better than him. But they're they're cut from the same cloth, and I think that's just where that I see them as brothers. And I think De Niro uh, genuinely and and this again ties into the ending. But I think De Niro genuinely like loves them, not only Max but also you know his other his other cohorts. You know, I think he definitely is. Uh important to to understand especially in that like so like why i bring this up specifically so and and i like i'm jumping ahead a little bit but like when they so the suitcase that we mentioned in the beginning when it's uh we it's revealed that this is like kind of the community pot that everyone's putting their money in here it's for the group like you know split everything four ways or five ways, I forget how many kids, or five ways, and when, yeah, they, five. when they all put their hands in, Noodles is the last one, and he gives Max a look that, to me, I always saw this as kind of like, like, in train spotting with, like, oh, like, yeah, we're all going to share this money, you know, we're all going to split this evenly, and it's like, oh, well, like, I, if, if I was going to, like, I always got the impression that there was always going to be someone that was going to steal the money. It was just who got it first. And that's when, when, noodles, yeah, when yeah. noodles, well, when noodles looks at Max and Max gives the look back, that to me was this unspoken, 
who's going to steal it first? Is it going to be you? Or is it going to be me? Cause it's not going to be these assholes. Cause they, they, they're like a hundred, they're the suckers. And it, but it's like, who's going to steal it first, me or you? I, and, and, and that's where, oh, yeah. where yeah. noodles, where noodles, like kind of just gives him a look. Max has that smirk, which to me, he's, te- he's saying who's going to get it first. And I'm honestly surprised yeah, it yeah, took absolutely. them that fucking long for someone to steal it. But so that, that's where I'm kind of getting at where, I mean, and I even like through, got even, that it was, it, well, even sorry, like, even as they're adults, you know, there's, there's moments when, you know, De Niro and, or Noodles and Max are having, you know, spats back and forth, they're having disagreements. And it's almost, it almost feels like right from the beginning that they're having disagreements about how things should be, not, not run, but just like how they're yeah. going about things. Yeah, so that, they're two so that's very why, different leaders. So that's why I, I, I bring up the fact or like the statement or my opinion of it's like I never got the impression like I felt like noodles cared for Max but but not to like the degree but but you bring up the good point of like I also genuinely think that uh noodles is distraught by his like he goes and goes to the opium den and And maybe it's more like it's 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 more not so much the the death of Max and and his uh his other friends it's just I, he's just, he, maybe he's realizing he's a piece of shit that has absolutely no moral compass. Well, I think that the money is, it was always, in my opinion, was always like an insurance policy. When they look at each other, they're like, this is for us when we're about to be gangsters. We're about to like really kind of start a, an enterprise here. And let's be real. This is for whoever doesn't die. And they're laughing. I think I think that grin. I always took it as like they're grinning because they're like, let's be real. It's two men standing. It's gonna be me and you, not these you know these you know clowns. It's gonna be us two. They're our friends, but if we, it's like it's whoever's last man standing takes the money, and we're gonna be the last ones left. You know, that's what I always took it as. And and even the enterprise when they get older, it's always about Max and um noodles calling the shots you never see william Forsythe's character calling any you never what's his name oh god like uh, it's like lazy eye or hang on a second uh, yeah well, well keep talking and and i'll but you I'll, never but the, my point is it's always max or noodles calling the shots and so i see that that look in their eyes like we're really in charge here and yeah this is an insurance policy whoever's the last man standing gets it yeah, exactly. And there is sort of like a smart ass, smarmy, like when Noodles being like deal, you know, but that's just kind of the, the personality. Yeah, exactly. And so kind of the, like the next bit of like establishing like their their foothold in this like Jewish like area of New York. We, well, we get the sequence where uh, I think it's Patsy. I think it, it's Patsy, Cockeye and I, I think mm-hmm. and I forget the, the the littlest kid Michael I think something I forget but yeah. anyway uh but Patsy is he buys a pastry to give the Peggy and we get this elongated sequence of him eating the pastry uh, I, that's a that's another that's another scene it's not the icon- iconic scene but that's just another little gem of the movie in my opinion at first i didn't really like it but then it gets grows on me the more i watch it i I get it i understand why it's there i feel like it's a little like okay we're established like okay so the the scene is 
Peggy, like with noodles, buy me a pastry and I'll like give you a blowjob or, so, or I'll like let you fuck me. And and so he, this kid buys a pastry and he's like, oh, hey, is Peggy here? Oh, she's washing up. Oh, I'll just be sitting right here. And he just, despite like this idea of sex, this idea that how like poverty stricken they are and how much of a, like a, a treat this is, he can't, and, and how immature he is as a kid despite talking about like these these adult things of sex and uh and you know, really sex he still is resorting to this like child inside where he he can't help it he just can't help yeah. it and he eats the pastry and damn do we uh do we get the elongated sequence of him eating that pastry man yeah he, bit by bit he's just like ah, i'll have a little 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 tip of my finger, and then ah, uh, you know, a little bit more. Oh, the cherry. She won't like the cherry, and then he's like, "Fuck it, I'm gonna eat it all." You know, <laughs> like I, I don't know. I find that a very sweet moment. Um, it doesn't add to. Uh, I think that's Cockeye. It doesn't add to his character. Well, it's just a, it's another little delicate moment. Yeah, and there. well, what's important? It's about a little long, sure, but well, what's important about that whole sequence is it sets up that the police officer is fucking uh, Peggy on the rooftops. And this is how they yeah. can make their first foothold by blackmailing the police officer by getting a, f- a photo of him having sex with her. And she's in on the whole thing too, because while they're extorting the police officer, um, they each have their turn having sex with her for the first time. And it's, ve- it's, it's, it's funny about how, again, juvenile it is with her noodles last like 10 seconds because he's a kid and he doesn't know what he's doing and then max it's funny how max is extorting the police officer and noodles like you know uh he, he's finished in 10 seconds and then he comes out and max is like okay my, my associate here is going to finish it and he goes right into that extorting mode and then max can't get it up and it's just it's just funny how it may be not, not funny is the right it's, it's an interesting writing choice how both of them it's just showing how they're they're making these very adult decisions in like getting into crime and extorting a police officer yet they can't like have sex with a woman uh you know they're still kids you know yeah yeah so yeah. we get that whole bit and and uh and after this we get like you know another uh i guess it's like passover like the sabbath and um deborah and uh, noodles have another interaction with them and i think this is a, another important moment too because you know it, i think this is their first kiss right and max is peering yep. in and sees them and they go out and max says oh you're like we could it's past like all these stores are closed we have like we can we can pick whichever one and steal but you're you're in there like messing around with this girl and this I feel like is like the two personalities of noodles. Like there's like the sweet side that Deborah is actually in love with. And then there's, you know, the hard knock streets, like from the streets of hard knocks, you know, noodles trying to be a tough guy. And it's like, you know what? She doesn't mean anything to me. And then uh, Bugsy comes out and beats the shit out of the two of them and kind of is establishing his own dominance over them. And so like, that whole happens. It sets up conflict. Yeah, like punches and, 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 him in um, the balls and like, oh god, it's like a brutal beatdown. And uh, Max doesn't Max say like, oh, I can't wait to kill you or something like that. Some, some, yeah, something like that. Like something, some smart ass remark. And then 
I think what's like that's important for like the narrative, but I think what's equally important is what happens afterwards when Noodles runs back to the Jewish deli and says, Deborah, let me in, let me in. Like she's locked him out. And I think that's yeah. the that's like yeah. such a key critical moment because that's when she, even as a child, realizes he's he's always gonna be like the gangster. He's never gonna be the person that I want him to be. Yeah. And she's locking him out. And you can see, like, again, yeah, the, liter- literally, the eyes, literally locking him out. Yeah, with the eyes and just like even Jennifer Conley as a, as this kid is able to express just like how upset she is at this. She's not bawling. She's not. It's just like kind of flat emotion, just like, damn, like that sucks. And and like it doesn't matter how long and hard he pleads. She's like, it's that moment that she's never going to let him back in. He had his chance. Yeah. He blew it. Yeah, he went out that door. Yeah, with Max. Yeah. So then we transition again to more like establishing uh, how they get more into like the, the like the kind of bootlegging. They're in a du- the introduction of bootlegging with the flotation device with device with salt. And I think this is Noodle's idea, right? Yeah, with the salt. Yeah. yeah it's not Max. It's not the other kids. It's Noodles. Uh, the idea. I think it's a great transition of how it works. You know, they go into with the mob bosses and say, they explain, oh, like you lose how much of your shipment when like the Coast Guard comes. Well, I have, a, I have an idea about how we can do this. They throw them overboard with balloons and the salt, salt dissolves. And eventually all of the, the, like the booze will float up to the surface so you can recollect it. And I love the transition of like, oh, we have to give it time. And then we cut to a foggy har- uh, harbor in New York City while they're out on the boats waiting and they're like oh we'll just wait because they're like oh we've done the essentially we've done the calculations where's all the uh where's all the balloons and where's all the cargo and then suddenly it's like hundreds of of cargo just kind of fly up and it's all like to say this 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 moment of this is when i feel like max and noodles are like actually friends because they're like celebrating they fall into the water and Noodles is like, oh shit, where's Max? And he's like desperately looking for Max. And Max, I think this is another like foreshadowing, climbs back onto the boat without him noticing and is like, oh, like kind of slyly smiling. And then, you know, you know, oh, like here I am. I think it's if it's not if, if it's not foreshadowing, it's 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 a really it's a good scene. I think it's he's slipping away. Um, and then again, set, they get rich, they kind of get like the traditional mobster garbs you know the fedoras trench coats three-piece suits uh setting up this and this is where we talked about the whole this is the community fund the so-called community funds everywhere we put like however much percentage of what we make and this is for the group no one steals from anyone it's a brotherhood and then this is when max and noodles kind of are like wink wink nudge nudge let's not be bullshitting don't bullshit a bullshitter yeah yeah and then that leads into the next scene where it, then we get directly into like the 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 the, di, the diegetic versus the non-diegetic stuff of like or non I don't know the the diegetic soundtrack of playing on the little flute stuff. Um, they're playing that walking down the street, and the little kid Michael is like dancing and stuff on that iconic uh, backdrop. Like that, that's of actually the, like the in Brooklyn, New York, like the Brooklyn yeah. Bridge. So that's that. Yeah, so that's actually the other like iconography of that movie. I I don't know if that's just like I I want to say that's why that that spot is famous. Why everybody wants to go there. It's from this movie, but nobody ever knows that. 
but I don't know. But that's where I know it from. It's from this movie, and it's like it's like a perfect shot. It's just like that the bridge in the back. It's it's the it's the uh, it's the poster for the movie. You know what I mean? That that shot of that kid dancing, and then and the, and the gangsters walking and stuff, and then we go to the bridge, and the horse cops go by, and they oh, go on. I, I just want to oh, correct us. Oh. The kid's name is Dominic. Oh, whatever. He's about to die. So exactly. <laughs> about to die in this next scene so it's not like it even matters but uh dominic and uh that's the thing too that that was another thing that kind of like caught me when i first watched this in high school was when they see bugsy and then dominic is like oh my god bugsy's here and then it immediately switches to slow motion with that with the music playing with that was just playing it was like a diegetic music now we are in the scene over overlaying everything the overpowering yeah like it's awesome I think I think that was awesome, an awesome transition of like slow motion running away, and then Bugsy kills the kid. Um, yeah, and and that, I, and that, and, and that was the thing like, where it's like a, it's a great, great scene, a great tense moment where they're all hiding because it's like a long alleyway and they can't fucking go anywhere, so they're just hiding amongst the cargo while Bugsy is looking. Just shot a kid in cold blood, and and I and then. Um, you know, they pull out switchblades, and I love this moment of just, like, pure frustration, or not, fr- or just anger that, um, that Noodles has, because Dominic dies in his hands, and what does he say to him? He says, like, I, f- oh, he, he says, says I, I tripped. He says, I tripped. He says, he says, Noodles, I tripped, and I, and I, and I, me yeah, saying or I that, fell or something. and me saying that, and listening to it, I got, like, chills down my spine, because of just, like, you know just the emotion of the moment and just like how it was delivered and just like the impact it has and that noodles i i tripped or i fell moment and it just sends him into a blind rage where he runs at bugsy with a switchblade and just stabs this guy to death as he's screaming he's just like fuck you and just keep stabbing him well it's pure rage and he also stabs the cops trying to trying to intervene as well yeah and that you know and that's like a very pivotal moment where it lands noodles in prison for what like 10 years or so 15 years yeah i think it's about 10 years yeah because he was like 14 i think he's when like he went i in. think well i think i think when at the, in the beginning of the movie when when everyone the cohort were killed i think they were like 28 29 and i think it also said on their gravestones they were like 28 29 so yeah i think let's just say he was 16 when he went in the jail came out 26 three years in between yeah he's like 10 years yeah so i yeah i and then again we then this is another transition uh to you know the the third timeline of the adult uh, or the yeah or the um the old man you know noodles visits all the graves uh specifically max at uh at uh the because we find out that the like that these three were moved and we're going to a mausoleum like a uh, uh, groundskeeper lets him in it's like oh are you a relative he's like oh i'm an uncle i really like that line and yeah I, yeah and and then this is when we get the second briefcase in like he goes back to uh right there he doesn't does he go back to the either way he gets a second briefcase and we open it up and it's an advance payment for your next job that's what the note says with this full briefcase and and it's kind of like okay, we're just, just again establishing, establishing yeah, no, he, he, more of this mystery of like what's well, going on. Well, because that's the thing too. He went okay, so like we'll backtrack a little bit after he turned in his friends to the cops. 
he went to the suitcase, found it was empty. It was full of newspapers as a young, as a young De Niro. And he was like, what? Not, not the child, the actual actor De Niro. And he's like, what the hell is this? So the money's gone. He put it back. He left the suitcase there and left. Um, the key to that locker is in the uh, grandfather is clock. in the is in the mausoleum. I thought it was in the mausoleum. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought it was. Well, I thought it was the key to the grandfather clock because they put it there. No, it was. Actually, I can't remember. But the point is, I know I'm pretty sure the key. There was a key in the mausoleum that he took. Oh and then yeah. He went to go back. Because it's, and then and it was it was donated back. from noodles, like the whole like restoration or something. Yeah. It was like, oh, this is to a so good friend. So I think he noodles. returned the key because when he came back, he's like, I can't return your key to uh to Mo. But then when he went back, he went to the mausoleum, saw the key. He goes back, opens it up. It's like, oh, there's a suitcase. It's full of money, saying payment advance for your next job. Yeah, that's exactly it. Um, again, I think this moment is against establishing more of like this mystery of like what's going on, disorienting. Yeah, like what's going on in the present day, yeah. And so then the next transition is the middle timeline when they're adults now, when James Woods as Max comes in, which I think this is a great performance, like perfect casting. Mm-hmm. James Woods, I think, is a very underappreciated actor. I think he's, I think he's, I think people he's underappreciate him. He's a nice job him. now, but exactly, he's because a great he's, actor. He's, he's like super involved in like, well, he likes to be involved in like he's very outspoken about politics and he says some he's like, like a really self-proclaimed right winger. Yeah, he yeah. says some like crazy shit. So it's very off-putting. But you know, seeing his roles, especially he's from like funny. the eighties and nineties, yeah, he's got great timing, like comedically. But um, I think of this and like him as Hades <laughs> in Hercules, but. Oh. Very yeah, juxtaposed. Also, Videodrome. Yeah. Oh yeah, exactly. But you know, very different roles. But anyway, also his little bit in Scary Movie too, like the the priest and the extra yeah. party. He's fucking hilarious. Yeah. He's yeah. a good actor. But anyway, so you know, we get we transition that now Noodles is out of prison. Um, James Woods comes. He's you know discussing like, oh, you know, here's our new business. We're bootleggers, and I guess they use uh, did they use hearses as like a front to like hide the booze uh i think so i think so i only bring that they up never really go into it well i bring this up because the neck this is an, again oh, another no, he does say that he's like, like another this is our business well like another iteration of sex where this is you know this is actually like de niro's or i guess noodles like first like adult sex when he gets out of prison and it's like oh like oh we, we're still on the job and it's like what do you mean we're still on the job it's like oh she Drop dead, you know, had a heart attack. It's like it's a shame. And then yeah, naked woman. The naked woman pulls him in, and then you know, um, oh, what what did he say? We get a little line in there where like an old man kind of peeps in the back while like uh, noodles and this girl are having yeah, sex. Yeah, I, I forget. It's like oh, they're rolling their yeah. graves or something like that. It's like it's a quippy. It's a quip for one liner. Yeah. Yeah, and so we we pull away, we get the fat modes, which is now a speakeasy. And again, just like how they're talking about that that inner it's very small, but how they talk about the sex. It's like, oh, did you give it to her? He's like, Yeah, you bet you're fucking right, I did. Again, it's like very it's this, it's it's like this, oh, it's this masculine, like, oh yeah, I really gave it to her. But it's still very juvenile, you know? It's very like kiss and tell. It's not it doesn't mean anything. It's empty. It's very devoid of emotion. Yeah. And yeah which which like feeds into these these characters and here's we get the reunion of all the guys and uh specifically deborah 
which I think is very like that's a very interesting interaction because because Noodle's demeanor changes completely when he's talking with you know Patsy and Cockeye and and Peggy, and then when Deborah's there, I think she's wearing all white, <laughs> very pure, and they and they talk and they're just talking like oh like did you did you know I was going to be back so I was hoping you were going to be here so again it's a very like just the tonal shift from the uh from the reunion of the boys to reunion of Deborah it's very different and I think it's very subtle in its tonal shift but I think it's very impactful yeah absolutely yeah so now we get more about like them being gangsters. Now we, it's established that they're boot, they're, uh, they're bootleggers, but here, I guess it's like their big job. And we have Frankie played by Joe. No. Yeah. Joe Pesci and Burt Young. Who yeah. Played Joe's yeah. Joe, Joe, I'm sorry. And th- this was like Burt Young. I will only see him as Pauly from Rocky. And he even played like, this is Pauly in a gangster movie. The, the sloppy kind of drunk dickhead yeah yeah like pointing yeah. around just like telling very crude stories like it's weird it's a very weird performance like it's all i'm seeing like this is paulie as a gangster or like a wannabe gangster and we get this idea yeah, of yeah. like well not he's, he's a real gangster. well no he's he's a top movie. dog but you know we're stealing diamonds and uh you know oh like oh i was giving it to the secretary and, like again they're they're very brash with how they're just like oh yeah i was like uh, i saw the secretary and she wanted it and i gave it to her and she told me about all this the same, and, the, the same one that uh noodles well, he, will eventually have sex with well he says don't do anything to the girl i mean it don't do anything to the girl and it directly cuts to the robbery which again very violent they're stealing and then we get this bizarre sex scene like you were mentioning how they all walk in they 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 uh, but it's bizarre but it also ties in narratively with the whole theme of violence and sex and and their how how the lines are really blurred between the two for this group of people and that they come in they're you know they're bashing the managers they're you know they they got you know they're all in disguise they're doing a robbery and de niro goes up to the secretary and she's like you know beating them like screaming she's all make it look real it's like hit me he's what it's like hit me and he starts slapping her and then he gets so enraged that he just pulls her into another room and just starts have like just like i i it's i don't want to say it's i it's very it's like hate sex i don't i don't know how else to describe it because it's not a rape because she clearly because she says she wants it yeah no it's 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 not rape yeah, no, it, it's like, and that, and this is, and I remember watching this as a kid and was like, what the fuck is this? What is going on here? And then I, like, I grew up and kind of like was able to appreciate, not appreciate, I'm not appreciating this scene, but, but like understanding what's going on. And this, this is, again, going back into the thesis of the movie that we were talking about before is, is this idea of sex and violence. This is violent sex. She's being turned on by this and is, and is enjoying it. I mean, shit, she's turned on so much by that she becomes Max's girlfriend by the end of this. Like, that's how much she enjoys this kind of violence and sex. And, like, this is this is the criminal sex. This is the... The, the deviant. I guess her... Yeah, the deviant, the, 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 um, the inappropriate... Yeah, the deviant sex. That, that is the... 
that is the uh, that is one side of the coin of sex in this movie. That is what we're seeing now, and it serves as the you know as the diametrically opposed mirror of what we see later of of you know what of of noodles is particularly uh, the sex he engages in. Yeah, exactly. And then immediately following, uh, we off Joe as quickly as he's introduced uh, in a very in a scene that I didn't exactly see coming, much like Noodles, um, I knew something was going to go down when they were driving to this completely desolate uh, pillow factory <laughs> or whatever the hell it is. Um, and yeah, with with like with uh, with tugboats like beached on the shore and stuff. Yeah, like it's weird. Yeah, they. I mean, I was like, oh, it's deserted, but I'm like, this is a little too deserted, and and it's and and you know they just a completely like cold stone like ice these motherfuckers you know shoot joe right in the face at the at the handoff the uh patsy jumps on the ground uh the other cockeye and and james wood pulls out tommy guns and just completely wreck everyone a dude runs away and robert de niro even though he didn't know what was going on was like okay well this is the plan now and he follows and kills this last guy which was interesting. I think that's very interesting that because then he, he goes back and gives James Wood shit as they're driving away. He's like, why didn't you tell me that this was going to happen? He's like, well, we needed I didn't know if you're going to be on board. I needed we needed this to go through and we needed your help to do this. And and, and we yeah. get that very yeah. pivotal line of today. They asked they asked us to get rid of Joe tomorrow. They asked me to get rid of you. Are you OK with that? And I think that's a very important distinct. And I think that's like where the first kind of split happens between uh noodles and max and this is where i was getting at where max i felt like never or noodles never really trusted max never really like friendship is a very loose word because here uh i mean i don't think he just doesn't want to be involved in this like you said different leadership styles he is no problem bootlegging for the mafia but he doesn't want to start being a hitman for them and i think that's a very interesting clear dynamic shift um, they're both seeking different things, different types of power. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely, yeah. So we we also get like this kind of like bizarre scene when Noodles drives the car into like the bay or the ocean. Um, oh yeah, yeah, I don't get it, but I still don't. But I mean, it just—I guess it shows like his impulsive nature, and he just—he'll—he'll he'll do the crazier shit. You know what I mean? Like he'll—he'll he'll actually, you know, call the cops. He'll actually drive off a dock into the water. You know, it just shows how Noodles is more impulsive, I guess, even still. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's—I mean, it's a very kinetic scene. It's a very interesting scene. And again, it's just building the narrative and you know, building the relationship between Noodles and Max very subtly. Um, and then we get into this idea of uh, James O'Donnelly with the, uh, I guess he's the representative oh, for the yeah. union. So then we get like the union disputes in here and like the Teamsters and stuff. And, you know, it, it's a brief cut to, you know, 1960s New York. It's like, oh, I've never been involved in organized crime. I've been clean. And then, uh, well, this is also important too, because there's, they're, it's, they're starting to establish that uh, like a senator or a congressman is under uh, some sort of uh, questioning by like the Senate, like a it's grand like a scandal, like a grand, well, yeah, for being involved in organized crime. And James O'Donnelly is this like representative closely that works closely with the senator. And 
And that's when uh, Noodle says, I don't know who this senator is, but James O'Donnelly, I know him. He's been dirty for a while. And we directly cut to some back alley shit where the moth, like another organized crime syndicate. Yeah, they're going to burn him. They're going to they're, they're gonna burn him because he's been riling up the union members, like getting, uh, you know, just causing uh, strifes, starting uh, strikes and stuff like that with the Teamsters. And then this is when, you know, our boys, like the crew comes in and they say with the boss, oh, like, let the guy go. Like, we're in control now. Like, we're not taking shit from anyone. And they save James O'Donnelly. And and, um, and this is when the chief Ariello, who's the father of... Uh, yeah. In a... yeah. No, it's, it's Aiello. It's Chief Aiello. It's the same name as Danny Aiello. Okay. Well, he's, he plays the father in... Um, and I'll do the right thing for the, the Italian pizza joint. And here, you know, he's a dirty cop. He's involved with the mafia. And his whole thing, he's like this proud, like this proud guy. He's like, oh, I'm a father now. I have my firstborn son. Very misogynistic. And, you know, walking to, he's like four daughters. Like, oh, you know, I love you very much, but he's going to be the man of the house. And, <laughs> and I have to say this moment. So the crew says, okay, we're, we have to get control over him. So they go in and they switch the babies. And I do, I, I'm not going to get into what I do as a profession, but let's just say I work in the maternity field and watching this was both absolutely hysterical for me, but also like terrifying. <laughs> so they, the scene is they go in and uh, like the crew, uh, cockeye is like is uh they dress as doctors, they hide their faces, and cockeye is you know uh you know smoozing with the nurse, the distractor, and they go in to classical music and they completely rearrange all the babies and the and the identification identification tags, and then they leave. And so it, this this payoff is okay. Oh, it's time to nurse your son. And it's like, oh, I want to change a diaper. And he opens it up and it's a girl and he freaks the fuck out. And then there's a ransom call. And it's like, okay, like you're in our pocket. Call off your, call off your guards who are guarding or call off your officers who are guarding like the Teamsters or whoever they're guarding or you're never going to get your son. And then we get this whole, this whole, this another like discussion of Patsy lost the numbers to all the babies and it's like, well, I think the girls are odds and the boys are even. So let's just give them a random number and it doesn't fucking matter. And Max says, oh, like, well, we're going to be playing God here. You know, what better than us? Like, we'll give we're, it's it's we're leaving it all up to fate. And I think that's a very interesting, interesting monologue that not monologue, but an interesting you know piece of information and in viewpoint that Max says in that whole sequence. Yeah, no, definitely. Um I, 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 I will say, I don't think anything should be cut from the sequence or from the movie, except the, the, from the, the, the ILO, the chief ILO stuff. I don't know. I, I, I don't see really how it ties into the greater theme of like what, what we're, we, we've been talking about this entire time. Uh, other than it's like, ah, they just did the fucked up thing. And like, ah, whatever, you get your life, you get your life, you know? Yeah, I mean, I guess it's more like it's a narrative point of just how they're like escalating their power and what they what they're doing. Like before they were working under Bugsy as kids and now they're like no one's the boss of them. Like they're going against like different crime syndicates. Like they're creating their own like family essentially. Yeah, they're going against the mob, they're going against the cops. Like they're going to get they're saving politicians from the mob. I get it. 
But at the same time, I'm like, uh, I don't all know. The that, union, I all the, the union movie, shit is definitely is, a little much. Well, that, that's, such, that's such like a a quick back end of it all. I'm talking about like the kids stuff where it's like, oh, we switched the kids. Oh, I have a baby boy. And then, oh, it's actually a girl. And like, that's the, I love this movie. That is the only like, you could, you could shave off an easily 15 minutes by just cutting that scene, you know? I don't know. I never really saw how relevant it is. Yeah, well, it's there. But either way, um, the and then now Carol, the the secretary, comes back into the picture. Uh, we get like kind of a weird thing. We're like, oh, send her back. Oh, we're your friends. And they cover their faces and they all like show their dicks. And uh, and it's kind of this like this flirting between Max, De Niro, and Carol, like this this triangle, and. And that, and I think, doesn't Carol like offer to have like a threesome? And then, no, and, and then Noodle says, Oh, I'm not that kind of guy because he has a date. He has this very specific date that he has got to get to. He's like, I'm not that kind of guy. And, and knowing what happens, I'm like, Damn, that's a very interesting line that he says right there. And yeah. So, do you want to talk about that sequence? Or you just want to go straight to the date with Deborah? We can start with the day with Deborah. I mean, it, it's mainly. Just I think like, this is again, one of the most important. This is this is the most important moment of this movie, other than the end. Uh yeah, absolutely. This is this is like the number two moment, and it's again. I think this is this is the tragedy. This is the ultimate tragedy of this. Of this well, let's have the build up before the tragedy. So we get this date, like we get the date that Noodles has clearly been thinking about for twenty-seven years or seventeen years or however long, um, or ten years, however long he's been infatuated with Deborah. He's finally getting this date. He rents out uh, uh, this fancy restaurant on the on the coastline. This like five-star restaurant. The entire thing's like you can pick wherever you want. He's so he's. He's so rich that he opened it up for that day. It was closed. Like they're closed for the winter. He's so rich. He opened it up for that one day and had everybody, they, they restocked it. They had everybody do the dinner. That's how rich he is. That's how much influence he has. And he, and he got the, he got the band, the strings, you know, the big band everywhere out. And he's like, yeah, pick anywhere you want, whatever table you want in this empty restaurant. And then they, yeah, they have their dinner. They go outside, uh, like you, like uh, they dance. Uh, yeah, they, they dance, dance. They dance to her theme song. They dance to her theme song. Okay. Did you notice that? No. That 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 the song that they dance to is the uh, is the song that she played on her record, "Dancing as a Child." Oh, okay. And actually, also they play that again. This is tying back in the beginning of the movie when he talks to her for the first time after being released from jail. Mo actually plays that song with the band, oh. and then De Niro's like, "Oh, he like he's like a romantic at heart. He's just playing your our song." But they're dancing to 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 the song that he watched her dance to as a child. That's what they're dancing to. Yeah, and so and, and throughout this whole sequence, it's I, I think it's important to note that Deborah seems extremely cold towards Noodles. The whole time, the whole date, she seems very, not lifeless, but just like very cold, not um, like not like very shut off. And I think, again, it's closed from like the sequence that we talked about in the beginning when she literally closed him out. But she just always seems so even like at their reunion uh, here, it just seems very distant and, and drawn back. And well, it, 
it seems like to me that she's not like it's because it, he I think she really does like love noodles but I I she knows though she's like he's a gangster I'm I'm not gonna this is not the life for me I don't want him because of that and it always seems to me that like she's genuinely enjoying his time her time with him uh especially at the dinner uh not that she's like especially cold I always got the idea the impression that she was actually having a good time and but but whenever it got to that point of like romantic like being romantic she would be like nope I'm not doing this this is this is not the life I want you're not the man I love even though I do in a sense love you uh you're a gangster and that's not that's not that's not the life I want well, and that's not the man I want it's interesting too because there's this like De Niro or Noodles on the beach pours his heart and soul into her he's like you're, you're the person I've always cared about and he and he kind of says what I just said like you've always locked me away and or, or something like that you've always shut me out I think right and like I want to get to the top and it's after this like heartfelt emotion of um of, of like noodles like finally opening up to someone and being real Deborah says I'm going I'm leaving for Hollywood and I wanted to tell you tonight which which cuts him you can you can visibly see how upset noodles is by this news and then after this we have the very pivotal moment of the rape yeah, so the infamous the, so the go infamous ahead so rape. go ahead brian yeah. i'm just gonna let i'm just gonna let you spearhead this <laughs> i mean i mean yeah this is this is definitely the hardest scene in the film and it's one of the hardest scenes that I've seen. It's it's a rape and it's uncomfortable and it's disgusting. And I remember watching it as a, as a kid and being completely horrified by it. And I didn't understand what like why it was going on. And I, and that's and that's and that is the you know for the scene. He immediately just starts kissing her, and it's it's as uncomfortable and horrific as you can imagine. And she's saying no, and he's pushing on her, and and Leone just lingers on the moment, and of the drive, even to the driver, just driving his car and ignoring the the rape that's going on behind him, the, this act, this disgusting, brutal act. And I so after having having this movie been in my life for a couple of years. I think it's incredibly necessary. Uh, unfortunately, uh, as I condemn this scene, and it, it really shows like the depravity of Noodles and the character, uh, it shows of the theme of where we've been talking about, this is the sex that he, and this is the relationship, and this is the, this is the connections that he builds as a criminal. The only sex that he really has is violent and to an extent, it's it's always rape, and that shows how empty and uh, depraved of an individual he truly is. Uh, no matter what kind of blanket and like veil of 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 superiority he likes to put over Max, of, oh, I'm not going to have a threesome with your girlfriend. I I'm my own man of principle. He's not. He's a criminal. He's a piece of shit. And he's an he he is genuinely a despicable person, and 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 it, and it really shows in this. It's it, even still, 
it's it, I, I hate watching the scene uh it's just so hard to watch it, and, and it still makes me feel uncomfortable and uh, i mean it, it but that that is the thesis of like who noodles is he his only his, the only sex he can have is violent and it's rape and he even and that and that's like what deborah why she locked the door it's from someone like this and it proved to her why you know she's going her way and who noodles is it solidifies noodles as the character that he is the rape of deborah you know yeah i think the the, mo- the other like this is it's obviously very uncomfortable it should be very uncomfortable i think the the other time that i was like this uncomfortable watching something like this was irreversible the 10 minute long mm-hmm. rape scene the uncutting and yeah where like, i think where i feel like watching it but and it's sick it's awful and it, it is i did feel like irreversible i feel like gaspar Noll is very uh exploitive in that um yeah i, I, I mean they're both I, it, very it's it's ex- it's, like, it's different but it's yeah but but this i mean they serve well, the, the rape serves different we're not gonna purposes, get into that, narrative. But yeah. yeah but but i'm just bringing that up that like it's d- regardless I, it's uncomfortable and it, it makes you physically sick like it, like i like i'm like oh my like it makes me i, I didn't want to watch which is the point but so from what I observed of like this whole sequence, but it serves a purpose. That's the oh thing, yeah, though. it serves the. Pr- it's not like it's not like a Lars von Trier movie where it's like I'm just gonna show a rape for the sheer shock of it, like that asshole does. Even though I I, res- I love him as a director, but that's what Lars von Trier would do. You know, I'm just gonna show it just to shock you. This actually serves a a, a legitimate purpose to the story. As much as I hate it and hate watching it and i'm disgusted by it it serves a purpose to the story yeah and like i'm gonna echo a lot what you said and that's, I not, mean, and that's not me legitimating it or saying it's right or true but just in terms of the story yeah it's well, it's, I, it, it, it's thematically it it makes sense why leone would include this yeah and what i'm gonna say is gonna echo what you've said i mean she, deborah is like the only thing that was holding noodles humanity and I get like I guess this was him just lashing out and just resorting to what he knew, which is what you said, depravity. And well, he rape, lost her at that point. He well, knew. rape is also about power dynamics. It's not really about you know like sexual like uh, like I want to have sex with you. It's about I want to I want to show you that I have power over you in the most disgusting and horrific way. So this is noodles doing that and and it's not that noodles is like he's not even he's not indifferent to what he did he's not like he's not like oh fuck it like he's like here take her home yeah, he, like, knows wrong. He, he knows what he did was wrong like he's he stopped this car stops and he stands out and he he tries giving money to the the driver which is weird because the driver is clearly disgusted he doesn't take the money and he just like kind of is very cold like, as he should be he's like pissed but what happened but i'm like how the fuck did you not know what was happening you can't be like oh they're just having well, sex because in the he's back. a gangster he's gonna kill him like no but it's like him, but you know? i know but it's like but it's it's that weird thing where it's like you can't be like oh they're having sex because it's deborah is literally screaming no stop and when he gets out he looks like oh my god this is what happened and then he like, doesn't take the money and he leaves you know i'm not saying stop the car 
or oh, I mean, yeah, I would hope he would stop the car and be like, yeah, what the fuck are you doing? But yeah, he's obviously scared, but I never got that impression of he was just like doing his job and he like, you know, plugged his ears and he has to live with that because he was, he was clearly disgusted when he realized what happened. But, it, and then this, and then it just kind of fades into like the next moment. The, the, but the moment is always lingering on your mouth from that. Like you're always, you're not going to forget that scene. Yeah, it's a bitter taste. It's yeah, like, the, like you won't. Because the, the, the audience views noodles completely differently after this moment. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's yeah. You just, you have this bitter taste in your mouth every time you see this guy. He's it's irredeemable. An, it's an irredeemable moment. Yeah, He's irredeemable yeah, exactly. at this point. And you're just like, okay. It can, and that is interesting because it completely changes the dynamic of how the audience is viewing this character. And Leone knows that, you know? So, uh, like, so that's the rape scene. And the next moment, you know, we have uh, James O'Donnelly gets shot. The gang kills the cronies. And this is kind of the idea when, I guess, I think the guy's name is Sharky in the hospital room suggests that the gang gets involved in like the shipping business because the idea that prohibition is going to end soon, it's like kind of, there's there's uh, hints that they, they're like okay this probably might not last long and then we're gonna be out of a job, and it's here, you know Noodles and um, Max have a fight where, you know Max Noodles says I don't want anything to do with this we're not getting involved with these guys and Max says you gotta forget like you you smell the stink of the streets you gotta forget where you came from and this is that interesting line of I like to smell the streets it opens my lungs it, it opens my lungs up it gives me a hard on and he leaves, and then. Max chases him and says, let's go to the shore and want to go swimming. At the end of that scene, though, Joe Pesci walks in, though. Do you notice that? Yeah. Why? Yeah, no, I did. <laughs> I don't, I don't he, know. Because he gives a look I, I of, like, looking that. around, and he looks very unhappy. But then he's never in the movie again after that. We yeah, just see Frankie actually, is there. I kind of forgot about that. because I was like, oh, that's Joe Pesci. Like, I, like, why is he here again? But And they linger on him. They, like, they pan to him, but I, a lot of this a movie, a lot of this movie was on the cutting room floor. Well, Even this version, I mean, yeah, this but, version of the movie yeah. was left on the I cutting think, room I floor. I think the original version was like six hours long or something. So there was definitely a lot. Um, there was definitely the mob sub D plot or whatever, but yeah, uh, whatever. I mean, so they go. Do they go to like? Miami or something they're on the beaches and this is when we first realize uh, this is when prohibition is ending and Max suggests like well we have to reorganize because we don't we're out of a job and he suggests robbing like the Federal Reserve which is very important and this is when the whole thing like you're crazy and he's like I'm not fucking crazy and he like gets angry and this isn't the last time that we're gonna hear like oh like he it's essentially he's being called the chicken like in in a in Back to the Future, like he's like, "Oh, what are yeah. you chicken?" and he like freaks out. It means nothing, but it, he freaks out when he's like, "What are you? You're crazy!" And you know, we we get a little bit later, we get the we get the little like dropped line of, "Oh, his father was in a mental asylum and died there, and he was always afraid of becoming his father." And he was fucking crazy, but like, and I guess that's what he was afraid of. But this whole like this whole thing of, "Oh, you're crazy," and and Max like being afraid of being crazy, and just like lashing out. I guess, like you said, he was a hothead because was there's other moments. I don't know if this ha- like did the what cr- did the throne scene happen when no yeah no it was directly after I think when Noodles walks in and kind con- it's definitely clear that news of like that he raped Deborah 
was kind of in and and like you know mo was looking at him like he knew what he did he's like oh can you get me coffee and he gives him coffee and he's you know twer- he's 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 uh he's swirling the 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 sugar in the coffee and uh james or uh, max is sitting on this throne he's like oh where'd you get the throne from like what are you the king of us and they get this fight and that's when he's like oh you're letting this woman you know kind of dictate what you want he's like get the fuck out he's like he's like i'm my own man and i guess this is when the whole um being a hothead is coming into it and he's like kind of the degrading of the character the mental degradation of the character i guess because he's starting to like start talking like really like legitimately like crazy shit and you know he's just screaming like get the fuck out get out blah 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 like and and yeah like talk about like robbing yeah yeah no he's like starts like losing it yeah and you know they start scoping the bank and this is when carol and noodles are saying like oh, max is obsessed like maybe you can just leave a tip and like you guys can go to prison like it's better like a five-year stint in prison is better than being dead and uh and, and we get to our last prohibition party uh noodles you know which makes... which, they, which they which which tied into the beginning you just didn't know that yet yep but prior to the phone call you get snippets of it and yeah yeah and this is when noodles makes the call to sell out his gang to the cops again to try and save them and he doesn't join in this toast this final toast and you know uh max goes looking for him and and uh yeah so we get this this scene where uh where noodle says you're crazy and then max says don't ever call me crazy and beats him and like knocks him on unconscious and it's during this moment where noodles is unconscious after making the call that this this botched uh police tip or this police uh um like barricade or chase ends with everyone dying right yeah yeah that's that's how it goes and you get back to the uh to the to the iconic phone ringing sequence and uh we kind of tie it all back together and we figure out what noodles did and this is when we kind of focus more in the uh in the mystery of because this kind of ties up the past and now we're in the quote-unquote present with old noodles so we cut to i guess some like a a mental institution where carol and her foundation or something they were like they kept this alive and this is when she says oh you know max put it in our heads that you know because he started shooting first like he wanted to go down in a blaze of glory and and he started acting crazy to get us to act like brash too so he could go out quote unquote on his own terms and yeah i forgot carol was in this yeah and like well, as an old and lady. Some, yeah. i think it was it, maybe it wasn't even because it's like this mental institution no no, no she was there she yeah was but there. but it wasn't through her it's, it in, was, it's in the name it's in the name of the politician yeah but it was but we find out that it was deborah who was also like financing it yeah she's like a beneficiary yeah, yeah. And because there's like, it's, yeah, it's like the board, it's like the opening of it. And she's right in the front. And this is, we get the, the third uh, sequence with Deborah. So again, now this is a really interesting sequence too, because very interesting. It's right after uh, I get, so she's an actress, I guess she's doing a stage performance now. And, and uh, noodles goes backstage and talks to her. And while he's all in his, he's aged. Deborah has not aged. And I think 
like obviously it's very it's very purposeful, but I really well, like she's this. Still that in she's, her makeup. No, but she's in her makeup, but she takes it off. But she's no, not no, in, no. But she's still clearly young Deborah. Oh yeah, yeah. She's not very in, clear. She's yeah. not in old person makeup. She's young, well, like nineteen twenties Deborah. Yeah. Or 1930s Deborah. Yeah. So, and I think I love that direction choice because it's still showing that Deborah is this representation of like innocence and and purity. And Noodles, despite what he did to her, is still seeing her like that. He's still clinging to that idea of her as this young innocence. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, I think it's incredibly intentional. And I think it to further that point, it, I'll get to it in the end of, of what I think the movie means, but she is very clearly like 25-year-old Deborah yeah. in that scene, even and even 30 years later. Even the choice of like the line of like, age can't wither me, all we have left are, are memories. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, interesting. And here, Noodles decides to go down the rabbit hole because you know they're having discussion about max and like who this like senator is and what's going on and we hear a knock at the door and it's like oh hey it's her son right um david is david well, no, her... yeah well no well, it's like well you you married you married the politician uh, who's been in the news, right? Didn't Deborah marry the yeah, politician? Yeah, because of David is her. Son. Yeah, David, who was named after, uh, who was named well, after. I don't think she says. Yeah, noodles, well, right? I think isn't David? Is, isn't noodles? Yeah, real name David. Yeah, his name is David. Yeah, David. I forget his last name, but well, she was quickly like, "Oh my God, like get out of here, David! Like don't, I'll see you later." And then he comes out, and then and then like noodles comes out and sees. Well, but, but well. Well, what happens is she says, go out the backstage, like go out this other entrance. Don't go down this rabbit hole. And Noodles gets up and goes down the rabbit hole and he opens the door. And it's the actor that played young Max is signifying that Max is actually not dead. That's like the epiphany moment of like, oh, my God, it's literally the spitting image of Max as a kid, as a teenager. It's, yeah. it's, it's the exact yeah. same person. It's the same actor. I'm like, oh. And so that's when he, well, we can talk about that. But he sees that and uh, and we and we get that, like, he's obviously going down the rabbit hole. It, to the audience is saying Max is alive. And, and so we, the senator's name is like Bailey or something. It's like Senator Bailey. Yeah, yeah. And Senator there's this Bailey, party yeah. that he, and he gets an invitation to Senator Bailey's, uh, like party or something at his mansion so he goes to the mansion and you know he's, he's going around he goes to see senator bailey and lo and behold we see max and old old man makeup or james woods and old man makeup but it's max standing before him and this is a very interesting scene because this is max kind of coming out and being like i fucked you over i this is all part of my plan and with these allegations coming down like i like the mob is coming after me so i figured i knew where you were i'd rather you know you can get your retribution and i only want you to kill me and there's an interesting shift here because noodles says that's like the man like max died on the streets in 1933 or whenever the year he died like he died at that car accident or he died at that 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 failed police yeah. raid 
and and he refuses to say that or he refuses to uh kill max and max uh like you, you have the right to kill me for the wrongs i've done against you and he's like oh is this is this your revenge is this your idea of revenge and he says no because it, I, it's it's weird because De Niro, I don't know how De Niro is playing it. He's it seems like he's both playing it at like Noodles is in like complete denial and he's refusing to acknowledge that, like that this is Max, or that he doesn't care anymore. You know, how do you like interpret the scene? Uh, I think no, I think I think. Again, I don't want to jump the gun. We're so close to my final interpretation. Uh, I, I think, I think it's him metaphorically accepting like of what he's done to Max. He's like, I'm done. I'm not. I betrayed you once. I'm not going to do it again. And I'm just going to leave. You know. Yeah. So it's like you can go out the back door. No one will ever hear you. And he decides to go out the back door walks down and then we get this final ambiguous well not final but we get like this the one of two uh ambiguous sequences where you know he walks away and we turn around we we sear this uh this big like trap or uh like this garbage truck it's like a trash compactor yeah yeah we're on a garbage truck yeah. yeah like revving up and driving and noodles turns around and sees a, a tuxedo a figure now what's interesting and like walking towards him and then as well no it's it's, it's well, james wood well, clearly no, well, him what's interesting is i was reading something that they actually used the stunt double for james woods yeah but i always thought didn't they do a close-up on james woods or they showed it with him well i don't uh, i don't know i don't I remember they did. but they i don't know but, i always took i always took that as him i heard I read well, that, somewhere that further feeds into my narrative. That it was that they used the that they used a like the stunt double, so you couldn't actually tell. I mean, it's clearly like who it's supposed to be, but what happens is like he's walking towards uh, noodles, and then yeah. as a trash compactor goes by, he's not there anymore. And but then we we have a lingering shot or shot of the trash compactor, implying maybe he jumped in, maybe not. Who knows? But then. Isn't it at this point, too, that we have uh, Yesterday faintly playing in the background during... Oh, and that may have been during the whole discussion, but as this Mack truck goes on, um, we uh, th- th- there's a car that comes by where it's like, oh, New Year's or, some- or something like that. It's like a 1930s car go by, and Noodles just looks like completely confused of what's going on. So, yeah, and so I just think at this point, it just seems like the realities are now, like, meshing together, and, like, all time is just kind of collapsing in on this point. Like, the dream is collapsing, it seems, which might go into your, uh, your, your I think I know where you're going to get at, but after this, we directly cut to the opium den with Robert De Niro smiling up at the camera, and the credits roll. So what do you have to say about the Mack truck, opium den? What do you have to say? Because I, because I feel like we've been building up to this moment now. Yeah. So I think honestly, so this is what I read. I remember 
Well, so it goes, so it cuts from old man De Niro to young man De Niro back from where we started at the beginning of the story in the opium den. And he is high on opium and he looks up to the camera, smiles, freeze frame, roll credits. And I think honestly, so I, I remember reading this that, you know, obviously I've never done heroin or opium, but I, I've heard and read that when you are high on opium, it gives you these flash, you can have flashes, you know, very uh, surreal uh, flashes of your life uh, and stimulus with, with, with the high. So in my opinion, I think every, the entire movie, with the exception of young De Niro and young children, is a dream sequence. It, none of it actually happened. It's it's a, I think everything up to the kids, up to De Niro selling out his friends actually happened. And everything else that follows it, uh, even like after smoking the opium, going back to his apartment, finding his dead girlfriend, saving Mo, everything about that, being an old man, even with um, Senator Bailey, with, with Max not actually being dead. That is, that is all a dream sequence. And it, that's his inner guilt coming out of him. Um, and, and I think, I think it tells in, in several ways. I said in the beginning, we'll get to it with the girlfriend opening the bed and there's like bullet holes like laying throughout the bed in, a, in like almost a comically like caricature of a body. It's very dreamlike. And that that's his guilt. And like, oh, well, she must have died. Like, you're going to tell me that like a bunch of guys like put a gun to a bed and shot a, a body into a bed to, to, for dramatic effect? No, that's a dream. That's a dream sequence of, you know, he, of Noodles thinks he's a dead man. Um, it, it goes to the, the instant, the instantaneous, I'm an old man. I'm going to go back home, find my friend you know, as an old man and, uh, go, go retrace my steps. I, a mysterious figure, my best friend is now haunting me as he didn't actually die. Uh, it even, and then it, I think it, Deborah as an old woman or lack thereof ties that in my mind, as we were saying, I don't think it goes, I don't think it's as literal as like she as she is, um, purity like she is pure and doesn't age i think in his mind in his high deborah will never age even when he's an old decrepit man he will always see deborah as this pure angelic figure and and like that 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 line you quoted like all we have are memories they'll never wither i'll never wither because he's seeing her through his memories the last time he saw her when he raped her. That is who he saw, not the old woman as he is then. Um, as far as did Senator Bailey, is it Max? Did, I think it's very clear that it's, that it's Max. Um, did he jump into the, into the trash compactor? I don't know. I'm not, I didn't make the movie. I don't I think have it no matters. <laughs> I really don't think it, doesn't. it matters. No, it doesn't. It doesn't matter. I think what I think what ultimately matters is that is Deborah is the interaction with Deborah, and she's clearly not an old woman. 
and it's how he sees her. And I think that is the most telling flag that this is a high. And again, everything from old De Niro never happened. Yeah, I mean... And it just, it serves to punctuate, you know, his guilt. His guilt, that's what it is. His guilt of what he did. And his emptiness. Like, he, I, I don't know what, what the smile is. Maybe he came out of a high and was like, oh my God, none of it actually happened. I'm still me. My friends are still dead, but, you know, I'm not an old man. I don't know. I don't know what the I, smile I, means. So I, I agree with your interpretation. I took the smile as him... Like it, it was, it was him like kind of coming to not coming to terms. Like it was almost like, ah, I won. Like if, what if, like he didn't kill Max, Max killed himself. Max was actually trying to like puppeteer and master the mastermind behind all this, you know, like Deborah never aged, like, you know, you know, me raping her didn't, not that it had no, not, not that it had no impact, but like it, her almost aging is like, oh, she didn't lose her innocence because I did that. You know, it's almost like everything like it it almost makes it seem like it wasn't even his fault that all this bad shit happened, you know, with like Max is like a lost man, like he's dead. I'm still alive. You know, it's like the big bad, like empty, like the, the big bad mafia doesn't know about me. It's actually Max who knows where I am, you know. So him smiling, smiling at the end could almost interpret like him being like, oh, it's like still being a piece of shit be like, oh, you know, it all worked out for me in the end. You know, I walked away from saying like being a hypocrite like I walked away when I had like my chance of revenge I I uh you know Deborah still is pure and innocent you know I figured out the mystery you know so that could like I I, I'm pretty I think we're in agreement of you know everything is this like oh like the old the old age like the old like quote-unquote present didn't happen it's it's like an opium fever dream and then, yeah, and then what happens after that? I guess it doesn't matter because in the uh, noodles, mind is made up with that smile. I think it's made up at that yeah, moment. Yeah, it's a great point because yeah. it doesn't matter. Yeah, because internally he's kind of co- not come to terms. He's just rationalized it in his opium drug induced state. So, but I think we are in agreement that it's like the like I said the old like 1960s coming like coming back to New York New York City and the old stomping grounds is an opium dream yeah because of these dreamlike sequences that almost exclusively happen uh while like after he enters the opium den because they almost exclusively happen like if you can piece the timeline together it happens when the moment he's in the opium den you know, like the the cartoon yeah. bullet holes, the young Deborah, the the never aging Deborah, the 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 crashing of realities at the end after the mansion interaction. You know, so uh, kind of like the ludicrous, like the ludicrousness of the idea that Max like shot first and still got away, and there's like he's now Senator Bailey, and he's you know been he's been uh, he has all the power that he wants, but you know he's still like fucked by the mafia you know it's 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 interesting i but i do think it's all an opium dream like the the older stuff yeah yeah definitely so yeah i mean i guess that because the credits roll and we kind of discussed that all like the thesis so i guess we can get into the final thoughts and recommendations so brian your recommendation 
This is your movie. I think you have the most to say about it. So why don't you go first? Yeah, I mean, honestly, like I would absolutely recommend this movie to both the casual and I mean, absolutely cinephile. Um, it's just such an important movie. Uh, I just think it has, it's firing on all cylinders and uh, it's just, everything goes for it. The cinematography, the storytelling, um, the music by Neil Morricone, uh, it is literally one of the, one of the greatest directors who ever lived, his magnum opus. Um, And it's just such a, even even the four hour movie, you just got to give it a shot. And I, for that reason, I personally give it a a five out of five star. Is that what we do? We do give it a five star. Out of ten. Or is it... Out of ten. Oh god. Well, okay, fine. A ten out of ten. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, the five out of five is because I just recently got a letterbox, and that's how my my gauge is now. Um, but you know, ten out of ten. Ten out of ten. It's one of the best movies ever made, in my opinion. That was like 2001. Uh, it's one of the best movies ever made. Um, now, my other criteria is, you know, would I recommend it to the girlfriend? Um, I would I would totally show this to my girlfriend, Leanna. I would absolutely show this to her. Um, i definitely preface it, but uh, I would definitely show this to her. And that it's funny, because that's actually the great thing about her is, I can show her movies like this and she'll give it a shot. Um, you just got to be open to it and just be willing to experience it. It, it. it definitely, it definitely is a, like you said in the beginning, you got to be in the mood to watch this and you have to be open to accepting it. And it's going to be rough. It's a rough film. I'm not going to lie. If you're here at the end of this part, you've already been spoiled it's it's a rough film but that being said it's one of the best directors who's ever lived with live in his prime i mean he's been in his prime with other films but this is his best movie in my opinion so yeah 10 out of 10 on my end and i would recommend it to my girlfriend so so yeah i'm gonna echo a lot of what you said like this is obviously the mag magnus opus of one of the greatest directors to ever, you know, leave his mark on cinema. Um, I, this is not, again, this is not the movie to introduce people to Sergio Leone to. Oh, Definitely. I think like, you know, like the this good, the like, last movie you show them. Whereas like the good, the bad, like I, I just bring it up because it's most recently on my mind. Like that is a movie that I don't think you need to be like in the mood for. I think that is just like an inherently universal film that everyone can love. Um, even just like sitting down and just being gripping, it's, it's just a gripping film. This is also a very gripping film, but it's a much deeper, uh, it's, 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 a, it's a deeper narrative and a deeper message that he's getting across, which I feel like most, like those, like those, like those Magnus opuses of, of directors, like those aren't the movies that you first watch because th- those movies are always like, their, their repertoire of film is culminating to this point it's like the best qualities of that director. So this is not like once upon a time in America is not the movie to start with like showing any one Sergio Leone. However, this is a movie that if you've seen a few Sergio Leone movies and you're a fan, you have to watch this one. I think there's, oh, there's so much 
richness and depth to the movie and it's just it's just like there's legitimate like just it's just pure mastercraft cinema making like this is like there's a reason that this movie is focused on in like film schools i mean i I don't i've never been to film school but i'm a a curriculum would be would be lacking if this film wasn't talked about at least once in whatever courses you know and especially especially discussing like what we were talking about you know is it real which like you know some like some films that's not the point you know like inception at the end of the movie it that's not the fucking question to ask however at the end of this movie this is a question that i think deserves and warrants a discussion you know is what happened what we saw is it real because it is important so yeah, I, I did really like this movie, um, especially this is the cut that has to be seen because we did miss out on we like briefly, like, you know, when the movie first came out, it was tanked because it was heavily edited by the the this uh, the, the studios. It was like two hours long. It was in chronological order and it just didn't work. It didn't make any sense. Like, it just like gutted the movie. And then once this version came out, like it rightfully became one of the greatest movies ever made uh, hailed uh, by by critics and you know and and cinephiles alike so i highly recommend this movie um i'm not going to give it a 10 out of 10 i'm probably going to give it an 8.5 out of 10 just because i think there are some sequences that can be shaved down for time i think there's some things that like i get why it's there but it's like like i said like the whole uh, the whole swapping of the babies, the whole eating of the pastry, you know, thing like sequences like that, you know, random cutting back and forth timelines it can be entirely excised. But, uh, and I did find some, some moments like a little slow, but otherwise a very engaging and gripping movie. So I'm going to give Once Upon a Time in Hollywood an 8.5 out of 10, like highly recommend the movie. I think it's, it's it's fantastic everyone should check this movie out so uh with that that concludes this episode of amateur altours thanks for hanging around for the whole discussion guys uh you can follow us on twitter at altours pod you can email us with any questions comments or concerns at the amateur altours podcast at gmail.com and it would also mean a lot to both of us if you could leave a rating or review on whatever platform show you listen to on so with that guys thanks for uh thanks for listening and Brian and I got some new episodes cooking up. We're ta- discussing some uh, some themes and some movies that hopefully we can get to soon and get them out to you. But until then, see you next time.